Okay. So we're going to kind of go over again, rehash some of the basics that I talked about previously because now we've all decided that yes, dermoscopy is for you. Um, and we're going to see some new lesions as well. And then I'm going to ask you to test your skills. Again, appreciate these sites being gracious enough. I also used, because I kind of think the two o'clock, two to three o'clock in the afternoon is the hour of death because lunch is really settled in and you want to take a nap. And so I've put some fun things in here too as well. Um, one of the most common questions that I get asked when you talk about buying a dermatoscope, because I mentioned polarized and non-polarized light in the last hour. Classic derm um, dermoscopy started with a non-polarized light source. So you just screw it on to your otoscope head and you put some oil on the surface to cancel out skin surface reflection. The vast majority of the photos that you're gonna see on these sites and on these blogs are oil immersion non-polarized dermatoscopic images. Polarized versus non-polarized, I think the images are very, very similar. Polarized, you're gonna see a little bit better vascular structures. Um, and they're trying to show you here that polarized, you don't see quite as much intensity on the blue-gray areas as you do with the non-polarized. Non-polarized is your old school oil looking there um, and the glass surface that compresses it there. If you do use, decide that you're gonna be old school because you like the images online and use the oil, um, number one, just make sure you clean things off because that will leave marks on clothing. Um, number two, you've gotta be careful when you're using that handheld derma dermatoscope that you don't compress the lesion because then you're gonna compress your vascular structures and you're gonna lose some of the characteristics that you're looking for. Um, I think polarized is easier simply because of convenience. And for me in a busy clinic day, it's all about convenience. I'm annoyed if mine's on the charger and I have to leave the room to go get it. I will, but I'm saying it's all about speed and convenience. Here's another um, example of the difference between polarized and non-polarized. On the polarized, which is the one that I primarily use as well, you don't see milia quite as well as you do with the non-polarized. You can still appreciate them. Again, you've got to weigh out that kind of risk-benefit convenience issue also. Um, what you should do is when 3Gen gets here tomorrow, they're going to have all of their dermatoscopes out on the table. So make a friend who's got moles here at the conference, go to the table, and start looking at them and decide which one's for you. I am not... Um, I have no conflict of interest with 3Gen or anything like that, but theirs are my favorite dermatoscopes, and I've used quite a few. Um, this one, again, is probably my favorite for a couple of reasons. I like the fact that it's rechargeable, and I usually just keep two in rotation, and it will hold its charge for, and I use mine all the time, all day long, and if I don't accidentally leave it on in my pocket, and my nurses are constantly like, Dr. Holman, you're glowing, but um, if I don't leave it on, it'll last a good you know, three weeks without having to be recharged, and then you just plug it into the wall, and you can recharge it before clinic the next day. The one at the top, but these both have polarized and non-polarized light sources. So sometimes, and it's very easy, I mean, you just click back, back and forth between the two if you wanted to see the difference between the two. Um, I think for quick interpretation of lesions, you're not gonna see a whole huge difference. Now, if you did photograph and go back and analyze lesions, perhaps you would. Um, this one at the top is about the same image-wise as this one here in convenience, but that's the one that will screw onto your smartphone if you want to store dermatoscopic images. I certainly think smartphone photography for dermoscopy is much more convenient as well than getting the bigger 
photographs to do that. Um, I don't know that that's really caught on here in the states yet to do a lot of dermatoscopic monitoring. And so not a huge difference there. I think that's probably the best that you can see. There is some difference, but either way, I think you can appreciate some of those structures that we talked about. So go talk to the rep, look at some dermatoscopes, and get one that works for you and is easy to start using. Because like I said, if you're just starting, you've got to look at a lot of things to get comfortable. Okay, so we're going to do a warm-up here. Um, I love this cartoon. So that's on Pinterest. I'm not a huge Pinterest guru, but every once in a while I enjoy it. You can find that and pin it for your office as well if you want. Um, so again, all I want you to do for these first few lesions, and I'll try to stay a little bit quiet, that's difficult, but all I want you to do is say, is it melanocytic, is it not? Because for the way that we're going to do our framework of interpreting these lesions, I want you to start with that. Is it melanocytic or not? And remember, if it's not, you're not necessarily going to use the same framework or criteria that you would to use, um, use to judge a melanocytic lesion. If it's not, you're gonna start looking for some of those hallmarks of things that we talked about briefly at the end of that last lecture. Is it an SK? Does it have milia? Does it have a cerebriform surface? Do I see arborizing telangiectasia going on like a basal cell? And so if it's not, you're gonna be using that kind of pattern recognition as opposed to one of those methods that we talked about. Let's start with an easy one, underhanded. Melanocytic or not? Yes, so you appreciate for sure that pigment network peripherally, that pigment in the ridges, making it easy. Yes, again, very, very clear pigment network. And how about this, is it benign or not? Yes, it is, because you see that great, even though you got two colors, it's a beautifully symmetric lesion. Melanocytic or not. This is a thrombus, and so um, it's really black and scary looking, and so here you might have to actually like use your history taking skills. Melanocytic or not, please biopsy this. Um, but yes, you can appreciate, and it's tough to tell. I believe from this photo here, I believe all of that is probably part of the lesion as opposed to background pigmentation to the skin, but absolutely you can appreciate some network there and how disordered all of that is. Melanocytic or not? I would say no. I mean, I'd be hard-pressed to find anything suggestive of a network or dots or globules. This is a basal cell. I think you can appreciate a tiny little telangiectasia down there at the inferior portion. A little bit more tricky. Melanocytic or not? So here's the story. I think you could argue either way if you wanted to. And I probably, looking under my dermatoscope, would have said, look at this right here. It's got dots and globules, and those to me don't look like these irregular dots and globules up at that superior portion. And so I do kind of want you to see the difference between this half of the lesion and that superior half of the lesion. Because at my first blush, I would be concerned probably about a melanoma, the way this is growing together like that. What it actually came back as on the path was um, a basal cell in conjunction with a lentigo. And when you think about it, you're going to see that on a regular basis because where do basal cells grow? On sun-damaged skin. And so, but hopefully you can kind of see both of, both characteristics of the non-melanocytic portion of this lesion and then that solar lentigo at the inferior portion. But they're so tight there together, I 
think that you know, melanoma should cross your mind on this, or at least something of some melanocytic origin. Melanocytic or not? Yes, it is. This is a lentigo. You've got some of those amorphous areas that I mentioned in the last hour where a lot of times in cellular lentigos you get some flattening there of the epidermis. Melanocytic or not? Yes, this is a compound nevus. Um, and again, this website loves vasculature. I'm not going to get into all the curving and dotting and hairpinning and all that of the vessels. But what we would call I don't see, there's some hint of a pigment network for sure around the periphery, but you've also got those nice dots and globules of regularly aggregated pigment there in the center. And it also looks like it's been a little traumatized as well. That's what some of that erythema is. Melanocytic. And so if you say yes, you judge it one way. If you say no, then you start thinking about what were some of those clues that she talked about for basal cells, for SKs, for other things? And so this is an SK. And so what you see are those hallmark. And clinically, if you're very comfortable with dermoscopy, you probably never would have stuck your dermatoscope on this. I mean, this is an SK for sure. And you've got those, whether you want to call them meliolexis, comatolexis, clods, whatever you want to call them. But that's your hallmark. Last one on this. Yes. And I actually think the path on this was just a severely dysplastic nevus um, with that white area centrally, pretty disordered color and pigment. Um, I, would have been, I was, I think, concerned for melanoma. Okay, so the fun part of this lecture, I'm asking you to recognize patterns on the skin and with nevi. One of my um, good friends, and Tyler is a neurosurgeon, who's fascinated by patterns in nature. And so I think that's really cool. I think as a dermatologist or as a, you know, a dermatology provider, we all love visual things. That's one of the reasons that we practice dermatology. And so I am fascinated by patterns both on the skin and in nature, as well as he is. And so his suggestion in, his, in this book which is really interesting if you ever want to get his book, is that just like I can look at a Picasso and say this is a Picasso, that you can look in patterns in nature, and his suggestion is that they're evidence of a master plan or an artist. This is one of the images from his book. And so the last one was, this is a neuron. And so that's where he kind of first started thinking about this, was looking at the axonal pattern of a neuron and realizing how much it looked like an oak tree. And so kind of cool, you start to see these patterns repeated in nature. This is one of my favorites. Um, obviously, you've got the human eye here. If I have any Trekkies out there, this is a quark. And so if you're a science or a physics nerd, a quark is your smallest subatomic particle. And so when we're finally able to uh, photograph the pattern, I just think stuff like this is so cool. And so the human eye and then the smallest subatomic particle. I like patterns. All right, so now we're going to get down to the nitty-gritty, and I'll throw some fun patterns that you see in nature in there throughout this hour. So first, I'm going to show you the dermatoscopic image. And I really want you to try, because the whole purpose of this is to get some comfort with dermoscopy. And so I really want you to try to make your clinical decision based on that first image. Then I'm going to show you the clinical photo as well, because it's not often our patient refuses to take off their shirt and hands you a dermatoscopic image. And so, um, because you're always going to be looking at both, and really you use both your clinical and your dermatoscopic impression, and then we'll talk about it. There's great prizes if you'll find Mr. Gaudier in the back. Afterwards, I'm sure he's got something for you.
Um, Blink, this is something that I briefly mentioned at the end of the last lecture. This is from Dr. Peter Byrne out of Australia, and it's his algorithm that helps you decide whether to biopsy or not. Again, I'm not a huge one that like checks off things on algorithms, but I like, um, I like the thought behind this. B, if it's obvious, be obviously benign. Is it an SK? Is it an angioma? No, you're not gonna biopsy it. L, is it lonely? This is where dermoscopy gets scary is in your dysplastic nevi patients because everything looks a little scary. So you have to start to look for the lonely lesion, for the ugly duckling is what we call it. And so, or sometimes your monitoring is important there as well. But if you've got the lonely lesion there, then this back of dysplastic nevi, you've got this one that is so obviously different, that's an impetus to biopsy. I, irregular under your dermatoscope, which is some of the things that we're talking about. N is that, is the patient nervous or does the patient or a family member say, this spot is changing and I know it's changing. It wasn't there six months ago. I usually biopsy then too. Not always on the nervous. I mean, I don't always do that if the patient's nervous about an SK. You know, I don't always biopsy it, but that's something that should just raise your suspicion. And then K, some of those known dermatoscopic characteristics of a basal cell, of an SK, those kind of things. I took out the annoying slide uh, transitions after about the first two cases, so don't walk out on me. The, um, so start here. And I want you to work through these on your own a little bit. And your basis here, start with, is it melanocytic or not? Pigment network, darts and globules, blue-white areas. And once you get it in that framework, then decide, is this something you would biopsy, and why is that? What characteristics would make you biopsy it? If it's melanistic and if it's not, what patterns are you starting to recognize or structures that make you say, this is X, Y, Z? So your clinical history on this, you've got a 67-year-old man that walks in because his wife made him come. He doesn't know this is here. So I think based on that clinical image alone, you probably would choose to biopsy. And then you look with your dermatoscope and it only confirms that biopsy. This is a melanoma in situ. So let's talk about the characteristics here. Number one, is it melanocytic? Yes. I think you've obviously got a pigment network in portions of this lesion. You've definitely got some dots and globules there at the inferior end. Um, but these irregular, and I don't think that magnified very well, it doesn't look like it, but some of these irregular areas that are either dropout or regression, those are those white areas that you see these darker irregular globules or blobs or blotches is what they're called. Some streaking here. So those are some of those minor criteria that in two or three seconds, if that long, looking at a lesion, you could say, yeah, that's gotta come off. So melanoma in situ. So here's your next one. So put it in your framework, melanocytic or not and then decide what you'd like to do. So your clinical history on this is, it is a 58-year-old man, and these spots keep popping up. Obviously, clinically, you know what this is. So this is your B, an obviously benign lesion. But, so is it melanocytic or not? I don't really see any hallmarks of a melanocytic lesion there. Your dots and your globules here, this is the difference between the dots and the globules of a congenital or a compound nevus or of a melanoma where you get those irregular dots and globules. You've got to appreciate what are your dots and globules made of. And here, they're vascular. Okay, 
let's go off the reservation for a minute. These are two different lesions. These are not the same lesion. So what's different about these? Location, exactly. And so everything that I've said pretty much does not apply on the palms and the soles. The other place that you're going to have to kind of use your own, um, where history is as much important and your clinical impression is important, genital, lesions on the genitals also don't always follow the rules, or sometimes even milk line lesions don't always follow the rules. I'm not talking accessory nipples, those have their own appearance, um, but sometimes nevi, especially close to the genital area or in that milk line, look a little bit different. Palms and soles are totally different. and so. The most basic way to think about your palms and your soles, because you will use your dermatoscope there if you've got one, because a lot of times patients have no idea how long a mole on the bottom of their foot has been there, because most of us don't look on the bottom of our feet. So you've got two patterns to really simplify this. You've got two patterns for palm and sole nevi, and it's called parallel furrow pattern or parallel ridge pattern. Furrows being, if you look at your own hands there, the furrows are those valleys between the ridges. And so a parallel furrow pattern is when that pigment is primarily laid down in those furrows, and the ridge is when it's bleeding over the top. So here at the top, and sometimes the images you can't always tell, clinically it's easier to tell because you're really looking at the background skin as well, but that top is that parallel furrow pattern and the bottom is the parallel ridge pattern. And so my silly memory tool for remembering this, and I think that's how I passed the boards with silly memory tools, but parallel furrow. So the pigment is down in the furrows, so put down your biopsy tool. But if the pigment is up on the ridges, pick up your biopsy tool. So that's kind of how I remember it. If the pigment's down, put it down. If it's up, pick your razor or your punch up and do your biopsy because the parallel ridge pattern is more suggestive of a malignant lesion than the furrow pattern is. A variation that's extremely common on the palms and the soles is the lattice pattern. And so here you do see some bleeding across those ridges while your pigment is primarily in the furrows. And so that's still a benign pattern as well, that lattice, where you, but your primary focus of your pigment is down in the furrows. And so, whole different chapter of dermoscopy is palms and soles, but that's your most basic parallel furrow versus parallel ridge. So here's your next one. If you can appreciate the background here, this is on the foot. So if you have a lesion that looks like it's melanocytic and it's completely distorted your ridges and your furrows, be scared and biopsy it, because this is obviously a bad acral melanoma, but you can see you've completely lost any semblance. And so you say, well, it's not parallel ridge or parallel furrow. Yeah, that's because it's beyond that. And so this is an acral melanoma, and really it's to the point that clinically it follows all the other characteristics that we've talked about. But y'all see that? Parallel furrow. Put it down, ridge, it's up, biopsy it. Okay, here's my next pattern thing. Um, patterns in nature. Has anybody ever heard of fractals? Fractals are patterns that I find absolutely fascinating, just like I think dermoscopy patterns are pretty fascinating too. But a fractal is when you have a pattern that's repeated over and over and over, sometimes to an infinite amount. And um, these are all over nature's. And visually, especially if you guys are all visual people, um, 
I just think they're so visually pleasing. Does anybody know what this is? It is, exactly. It's called a Romanesco broccoli. It's a variant of cauliflower. And so, but those tiny little um, spirals are repeated over and over and over again. So it makes your head hurt. It's like the smaller flea on the back of the bigger flea, but they've got the smaller fleas and the smaller fleas and the smaller fleas. Here's another one that's a pretty um, example of a fractal. This is um, a patch of frost on a window pane, but this is a microscopic image that's been magnified. And so you can see that even at this microscopic level, you continue to have these repeated branching patterns. Now, the cool thing is, that's a picture from Google Earth of a riverbed in Egypt. So you've got a microscopic picture next to a Google Earth picture. Make it even more complex, so you've got microscopic frost, riverbed in Egypt, the Grand Canyon, and the Yukon River Valley. So you see these fractal patterns repeated over and over and over. And they're also really pretty. But that's what part of this is, is that rivers and canyons and gravities and shorelines, they all have these patterns that tend to repeat themselves over and over infinitely. All right, so back to the real stuff. Okay. And I'll give you a second. Is it melanocytic or is it not? And I've showed you a similar photo to this earlier. It's a different lesion, but a similar photo. And if you've decided yes, what are you going to do with it? So there's your clinical. This is a 14-year-old girl. This is on her abdomen and she wants to wear two pieces now and has come to you because it's so embarrassing. So obviously when you put that with the clinical, you can appreciate that this is a congenital nevus. Um, what you see here, I think you can appreciate grossly as well. That velvety verruca is kind of surface that a lot of congenital nevi have. You've got a pigment network peripherally. Um, your history, again, is important here as well, but I think Clinically, for most folks with your history, if they said this has been here, it showed up at six months of life and has been growing steadily. You may do something about it, you may not, but I defer to you. So, there's your birthmark. <laughs> and then I put this in here while we're talking about congenital nevi to remind you, um, dots and globules are a hallmark of congenital nevi, and so it's important to take your history as well. And I argue that those are relatively regular dots and globules. So don't think, because we've talked about dots and globules also as a hallmark, irregular dots and globules as a hallmark of melanoma. That was one of those minor criteria in that seven-point method. And so just because you see dots and globules, and this is congenital, they're not all aggregated like we'd seen in those dermal nevi in the last lecture. Um, it doesn't necessarily scream malignancy. Your history, again, is important here as well. Another thing in younger children, if you're seeing a lot of um, pediatric derm and doing mole exams on younger children, a lot of times you're going to see dots and globules peripherally as moles are evolving or arising, not necessarily in a worrisome manner, but dots and globules at the periphery of a lesion also sometimes you'll see, and they should be these kind of regular happy dots and globules, but as a mole is kind of evolving, sometimes you'll see that. Again, another congenital nevus. Your history is really important here too, but you've got those dots and globules 
centrally. All right, here's your next one. I'm gonna give you a minute on this one because you have two different diagnoses here and I want you to take a minute and look at these two photos and decide what's what. I'll let you off the hook, you're gonna biopsy them both. I'll give you the clinical there. The history, they're both 65 year old men with lesions on their right posterior upper shoulder. Okay, so before I reveal, does anyone wanna take a vote? Feel confident enough? What's that one? There you go, pigmented basal cell. And that one's a melanoma. So here you see um, the difference of a lesion on photodamaged skin, but that's not necessarily a part of the lesion. And here, this pigment network is part of the lesion. If you're even doing the most basic and you're not using your dermatoscope for diagnosis, just deciding if you're biopsy, you got that, check. You biopsy them both. But it's also nice for counseling purposes because I think it's really, really important um, as a provider in dermatology that if you have a suspicion of melanoma, you need to go ahead and counsel the patient about melanoma at the time of a biopsy. I think that's kind of your responsibility and your duty. And then when you get a diagnosis of a melanoma, I personally still call every one of my melanoma diagnosis patients because it's a scary diagnosis. And I encourage you guys to do that as well. I can't tell you how much a simple phone call means because even if it's a melanoma in situ and my nurse um, back at triage calls them, there's so many questions and there's so much fear with that diagnosis. And so I think the two ways that you can alleviate that and really build a better um, patient-clinician relationship is number one, if you're suspicious of a melanoma, go ahead and counsel the patient because um, the worst thing you could do then is to have a strong suspicion of you know, a serious or an invasive melanoma and just say, well, we'll check and see what that is you know, and not at least give the patient some time to process it, to get together some questions and things like that if that's what it is so that when you personally make that phone call that they've got a melanoma and um, that they've already got kind of a framework. The other thing is too with melanoma in situ because sometimes I don't always counsel if I think it's maybe a severely dysplastic nevus or things like that and it surprises me and it's already a melanoma in situ, make the phone call then as well because it's important to discuss with your patient the difference between an in situ melanoma and a stage four melanoma, especially if you, you know, say something like you've got a Clark's four melanoma. Well, all they hear is stage four melanoma. And so call your patients, talk to your patients, try to alleviate their fears. That's not your staff's job. Take some of this on, especially with melanoma, because that's the one that's in the news all the time. And so most of that can be done at the time of the biopsy with your suspicion. And then when you call or when your nurse calls and says it's a basal cell, it's good news. So is it melanocytic or not? Network, dots and globules, blue-white. So then yes, you judge it or you don't. So um, this patient's had this spot on her arm for years, but all of a sudden it's turning black. And this may be one that you err on the side of biopsy if you're not comfortable with dermoscopy, but this is an angioma just where a portion of it is thrombosed. And like I showed you a picture of hemorrhage or thrombosis in the last hour, um, you do get a black appearance there. And you can still see 
that regular kind of angioma at the base there of that lesion. And again, your dots and your globules here are um, lacunae of vasculature, not of pigment. And if you're not sure, you know, this might even be one that you say, let's recheck it in two, three weeks. I had this one in here a couple of years ago, and uh, Mr. Gaudier said that looks like a cervix. But, but again, there you go, patterns in nature. And so. so you can make your call one way or the other. Rapidly growing friable nodule on the finger. And even though I got these from a blog, I don't think that's the same lesion because I don't think those peripheral hairs correlate with that. So clinically, you guys know what this is. It's a PG. But um, I like this because you really need to be comfortable to um, correlating ulceration with what you see under the dermatoscope as well. That's just a little kind of essentially a scab or an area of erosion. Um, you're going to see that in any malignancy, so basal cells, squamous cells, melanomas, all those things, you may see ulceration and be careful not to um, accidentally think that that perhaps is some pigment there as well. Because oftentimes you can see ulceration under your dermatoscope that you don't appreciate grossly. So that's a PG, very vascular. And you can kind of see that shiny appearance under the dermatoscope that you see as well clinically. All right. Apart from detecting early basal cells, this may be like my other favorite thing under the dermatoscope, because this is another one like an SK that brings folks in that they're really, really worried about. And this is like knowing your child's face. Once you start seeing these under the dermatoscope, they all look similar. So is it melanocytic? Is it not? I absolutely think you can argue that there's pigment there. It's just, is it melanocytic or is it not? and then you're gonna grade it one way or the other. Is anybody gonna biopsy this? Hands? No, you guys are so far ahead of me then. And it dimples. Your patient said, ouch, because you pinched them. But this is, this is just your classic dermatofibroma. And um, a lot of times, especially on the shoulders and things, sometimes clinically DFs look a little bit funny, but under the dermatoscope, they almost always look the same. And it's very easy dermatoscopically to diagnose what this is. And this is something for sure women on their lower legs especially are um, concerned about. And it's nice to take a look with your dermatoscope and reassure them. It doesn't get rid of it, but you can tell them what it is. So I just want to show you several next to each other. And most of the time this deposition is hemocytorin peripherally. And like I said earlier in that slide where we talked about the colors, your white correlates to kind of that collagen or scar-like tissue, and that's what you start to get just across the board in these DFs centrally. That's what you see there with that periphery of vasculature or hemocytorin. Again, four more DFs. So you see they all look like they're cousins. You can kind of appreciate that. So there's some variation to all of them but you start to see that they all have that scar-like area in the center. And DFs don't always dimple, so don't pinch everybody. And like that one's probably traumatized. Um, excuse me, there at the top, 
The other thing that's not very common, I didn't put a picture of it in here, it's really, really common, and we talked about ulceration with that PG, it's very common, especially on the leg, to have an area of ulceration centrally on a DF, because as women, maybe not in the winter, but most of the time we're shaving our legs. And so you get that ulceration or that scab centrally. And so again, it's important to differentiate what's traumatic and what's ulceration as opposed to what is more concerning. And so that's also very, very common on the surface of a DF, either from a fingernail or a razor. Another fractal here. Anybody know that one? It's a peacock. And so I love this because that could be, that's actually a magnified portion of one of the peacock feathers, but it could also be 100 peacocks lined up together. And so it's just these repeating patterns over and over. Come on, visual people, you know you love that. Um, but that's that one. And I also think that the white peacock is a beautiful fractal as well. And contrary to popular belief, the white peacock is not an albino peacock. It's its own breed of peacock. So very pretty fractals. All right, here's your next one. I'm going to give you a minute on this one. Because I do think this is subtle and a little bit tricky. So this is the, a lesion on the shoulder of a 67-year-old man. He's concerned because it's been bleeding. Okay, so let's go through our steps on this. Is it melanocytic or is it not? The answer is no, but I think you're okay if you tie the line on this one because I certainly would be. Um, sometimes when things are traumatized or ulcerated, you really can't make a good judgment. And obviously, this is either traumatized or ulcerated. This is an ISK. Now, does it look anything like an ISK? But this is one of those good news things where you probably thought that it was a malignancy and you, you biopsied it. But um, there are no hallmarks of SK on this lesion. But it is tricky just to let you know that your dermatoscope is not a slam dunk tool, that you're not all of a sudden going to be able to diagnose everything clinically. Because I don't think that this... This doesn't really fit into any box there. It's obviously traumatized, and I 100% would have biopsied it. All right, so we've got another palm sole lesion. It's actually a toe, the side of a toe. So your two patterns. I'll give you that it's melanocytic but your parallel furrow pattern where the pri primary um, pigment is down in the furrows is indicative of benign lesion. Parallel ridge pattern is more suggestive that you need a biopsy. So if you said you were gonna biopsy, so did this guy. You can tell by the bleeding toe, it's already been numbed up for a biopsy. <laughs> and if you didn't have a good history on this, Absolutely, I think you'd be justified in doing a biopsy. This came back as a benign compound nevi. But um, so two features about this lesion to look at. Now, primarily at the periphery there, you see that parallel furrow down there. Put your biopsy tool down. That's what you see primarily there at the periphery of that lesion. Um, and again, sometimes the furrows versus ridges is hard to appreciate on um, the screen. But centrally, 
it's a little bit tricky. And so um, your history would be very important here in that N, nervous or changing might be an important characteristic here. And whether you chose to monitor that lesion or whether you chose to biopsy that lesion. Um, because what happens here centrally is that's just that compound component of the nevus and it was totally benign. But if you had zero history on that, the patient didn't know it was there, I think you would be more than justified in a biopsy based on that central portion of the lesion. But can you all appreciate that parallel furrow at the periphery there? But just like you see anywhere else, the whole lesion doesn't have to be atypical for it to be a cancer. Here's another one. Melanocytic or not, and then go for your clues. And again, I think this is a subtle lesion. So this guy is a 62-year-old golfer, and this has been growing on the um, posterior part of his leg for the last four months. And obviously you can see where that portion of ulceration that you can see correlates there. So first your pants and your shoes, rapidly growing, bleeding, sun exposed area of somebody who's in the sun all the time, you're gonna biopsy it. Are you gonna counsel them about melanoma though? Again, it's tricky, no, it's a basal cell. And so, but I would have been concerned both, I think both clinically and under the dermatoscope for a totally amelanotic melanoma because you don't have a whole lot of characteristic features one way or the other. And so when you're not sure, and even the best you know, clinician at dermoscopy is not always going to be sure when they look under the dermatoscope. So your history here is super important. And I think your, um, your clinical diagnosis, you still ought to pull out your dermatoscope and look at it just because it helps educate you personally as you're learning to use this. But um, you would still biopsy it. And the good news is, in this case, it's a basal cell. I would argue that probably you could argue for some leaf-like areas around the periphery of this lesion, but it's tough. Maybe a little arborizing telangiectasia right up there in that one portion. But again, you spend a lot of time on that man's leg looking at it to pick up some of those subtle clues. And so these were the two kind of tricky ones that I put up there. That was your basal cell we just looked at. And again, that's that ISK that I put up a minute ago. And so I say that just because I don't want you to leave here and think, because um, the worst thing that I could do is say, yes, dermoscopy is for you. And then for you to start looking at lesions and go, I don't know what this is. And I should know because she told me about dermoscopy. You don't always know. Not every, you know, just like you know, not every patient reads the textbook. Not every lesion fits into a perfect category under the dermatoscope as well. Okay. This is another one here. So I'll give you a second to look at that. I showed you a photo of one of these earlier. And when I show you the clinical, you'll just go, oh. So there's your clinical. This is one that I like to use as well to differentiate from a basal cell carcinoma with my dermatoscope. Because a lot of times if you have a solitary sebaceous hyperplasia, it's very difficult. Now in the setting when you've got like 40 sebaceous hyperplasia, you're pretty confident. Um, but if you've got one, and again, just like an SK or a DF, this is something that brings folks into your office for a skin check because they're concerned about this. But just like we saw with DF, sebaceous hyperplasia, um, that's next to a basal cell, and I'll go back to that slide, they all look alike. It's these aggregates 
of these little tiny sebaceous globules there. And so it's the overgrowth of that gland. And I put that next to the basal cell there so you can see the difference in our classic nodular basal cell and then in the sebaceous hyperplasia. Here you've got those aggregates of sebaceous tissue. And yes, you've got telangiectasias, but look all around at that background skin. That's your background, that's not your lesion, as opposed to here, your telangiectasias are part of your lesion. And so y'all appreciate the difference there. And so just like, and this is xanthelasma. I put sebaceous hyperplasia as compared to xanthelasma as well. Xanthelasma is not one that you're often gonna confuse with a basal cell carcinoma, but um, the difference with those little aggregates in sebaceous hyperplasia and that more homogeneous appearance, which is what you appreciate clinically as well as that homogeneous yellow appearance. And there, there's four of them together like Sesame Street, you know, which one of these is not like the other. These are four, though, all like each other. Sebaceous hyperplasia, and I think you can appreciate the similarities in those. And again, that's another reason just to start looking at some of these benign things, even when you know it's sebaceous hyperplasia, because then when you hit a basal cell, you'll say that's not sebaceous hyperplasia. Okay, this is probably my favorite fractal. Um, Jackson Pollock, if you've ever heard of Jackson Pollock, they made a movie a few years ago about his life. Um, I love modern art, but my husband thinks it's ridiculous. And so he would see a Pollock painting and say, seriously, I could do that in the garage. Um, because what he used to do is he would lay out these big canvas sheets, he had a barn at his house, and then he would form an anchor layer with paint, and he would, he would just swing the paint, he looked like a madman doing it, if you've ever seen the movie. But he would swing the paint across the canvas, create this anchor layer, let it sit for a few days, and then go back and add um, different, excuse me, textural elements there to the painting. What they've discovered about Jackson Pollock's paintings as they've gone back and analyzed them is that these anchor laying um, layers are actually fractal patterns. And so it's one of the ways that they differentiate authentic Pollocks from imitators is that they do fractal analysis on these paintings to see. And so you could argue he was actually a genius because he's making these mathematically fractal patterns for the base layer of those paintings. And so, and I think that's probably, this is another one of his paintings, number 11 from 1952. Um, I'd argue that he's a genius and that folks like me who appreciate modern art are not ridiculous, but I do think there's something very um, aesthetically pleasing, visually appealing about these works. And I think it's fascinating that the base layer of all of his paintings, you can actually do fractal analysis on. And as his work, as he went later on into his career, the degree of complexity in those fractals, you can watch it increase. You grade fractals from a one to a two, and it consistently got higher as he progressed through his career. I think that's so cool, but okay. Here we go, here's a completely new diagnosis that we have not talked about. And I think this is an important one to know because this is one that you will, if you're starting to look at um, lesions on the face, this is one that you're definitely going to see a lot of or that you're gonna try to make the call about, and I do think your dermatoscope is very, very helpful here. There's your clinical impression. So what is this? Lentigo maligna. And so a lot of times it's saying, is it just a sunspot or is it a lentigo maligna? Are we having some evolution? What's going on here? So hallmarks of lentigo maligna. You've got what we call rhomboidal structures. And that's gonna be where you see, so I talked about a pseudo network earlier where you see pigment lining some of the follicular openings on the face. Those lines are gonna to start to get 
thickened, you're going to see more gray discoloration, and those thickened areas are called rhomboidal structures. And so that's really the hallmark of lentigo maligna, are those thickened rhomboidal structures that you see there. And so this really only applies on um, head and neck skin. You've also got some, um, it's hard to know if that's abnormal vascularity or if that's your background vascularity. It's probably abnormal as well. But this is a great classic example. You shouldn't see those thickened abnormal lines. They're not really brown anymore um, of a lentigo maligna. Here's three lentigo malignas side by side. So in all of them, you appreciate that pseudo network that you see on the face, pigment around the follicular openings. Another thing that if you look on some sites or if you really get into dermoscopy, they talk about gray circles, which is essentially what I talked about now, but you can kind of draw circles, gray circles around some of these openings. And those gray circles sometimes correlate with eccrine glands as well, but that's another hallmark, gray circles of lentigo maligna. And this bottom one is on the nose, and that's someone who caught a lentigo maligna very early because of that area right there. So can you see the difference there? You've got some gray discoloration. You've got thickening of those lines there and those gray circles. This one up here was our original one that I just showed you. Here, you're totally smudged. I mean, it's still a lentigo maligna, but that's almost that veil appearance there that you've really lost some of those openings. It's very smudged, irregular vascularity. And so, the savvy dermatology provider would have biopsied that. So hopefully we all become more and more savvy. Lentigo maligna. Okay. So we're going to do some rapid fire here, winding down. And I say rapid, but I actually want you to take the time to look at them. Because I think there's some really important hallmarks in some of these. So rapid, you looked at it on that leg, you've already biopsied it before you spent some time looking, but let's appreciate some of the hallmarks here. So melanocytic or not? Yes, it is, but it's so severely irregular and atypical that it's hard to even make that call at this point because of that dysregulation. Right through here, doesn't that look like I smudged it? That's that blue-white veil that we're talking about, where all your structures just look a little hazy. You want to take your dermatoscope and clean it off because you think that there may be something wrong with it. That's the blue-white veil that we're talking about that's so suggestive of an invasive melanoma. And so this is a bad melanoma, obviously. Um, but you've got irregular dots and globules up here. If you get more into vascularity, you could argue about some of those irregular vessels down there at the periphery. But really, I wanted you to see this portion, too, where you've got that gray-white smudged appearance to the lesion. This would not be a good prognosis. Counsel. And here's this guy's back. And so you can see he's not covered in nevi. Tattoos, but not nevi. So melanocytic or not? Easy. Yes. So let's do the three-point method. Asymmetry of color? Yes. Asymmetry of pattern? Yes. Blue-gray areas? I wouldn't argue that there's really any blue-gray areas in there, but you got your two points, so if you're a purist, you biopsy it. I think the other thing on this lesion, even though this is just a moderately dysplastic nevus, I think the other thing on this lesion, it's an ugly duckling to me. And so that L of your blank, the lonely sign, if that lesion is lonely, it's your ugly duckling there, I 100% would biopsy this. And clinically, 
it's got a pretty dark appearance as well. So good news for him, it was just a moderately dysplastic nevus, but meets all of your criteria under the dermatoscope and clinically to biopsy. Melanocytic or not? It's actually not. And so if you said yes, it still meets your criteria to biopsy and you're fine. Um, but if you said no, again, this picks up some of those hallmarks of a pigmented basal cell. I think this one definitely does have your leaf-like areas there at the periphery. You've got some telangiectasia there, lots of blue-gray areas centrally as well, which you could argue if you really wanted to, and I don't, for a veil, but, um, but this is actually a pigmented basal cell carcinoma. That being said, even if I was confident, would I see and do this at the time of a biopsy? No. I would not. Anything that's pigmented under the dermatoscope or clinically, I don't see and do when I biopsy. And I do a lot of times for just basal cells. I think in East Texas, what he would say is, nah, it's just a scar that's been there forever. If you've seen Bernie, the movie with Jack Black, that's where I practice medicine. And so... But you magnify it, and you know that this is more than just a scar area, correct? Um, melanocytic or not? No. And so let's talk about our hallmarks here. This is a basal cell carcinoma, and this is a morphic basal cell carcinoma. But I still think you can absolutely appreciate those arborizing telangiectasia that go through that lesion. This is not a nodular lesion. It's not an ulcerated lesion, but definitely a morphic basal cell carcinoma. You like those at the periphery too? I think those are classic. So your history on this. This is a 38-year-old female who came in because her husband noticed this red spot growing on her back. It's been there for less than four months. And I'll give you a second really to look at the dermatoscopic characteristics of this. And they're pointing out some of the vasculature. Again, if you go to a longer dermoscopy course, you can really get into that. So, is it melanocytic or not? Terrifyingly, yes. Um, and this is one that clinically you would never expect to be melanocytic. I argue that you see that hint of a network at the superior portion of that lesion. This is an amelanotic melanoma, and primarily it's completely amelanotic there rapidly growing over four months. Fortunately, the depth was only 0.3 on this, but um, that's one of those tricks. And I'll be really honest with you, in the times that I have had amelanotic melanomas, I can go back, we photograph everything, and if you don't do that in your practice, I encourage you to do so. Um, we photograph everything. And a lot of times when I've been completely surprised by something coming back a melanoma, I can go back and even just with my clinical photographs, magnify something and perhaps appreciate an area of pigment that's there. I'm sure if I did dermatoscopic images on everything I biopsied as well, my appreciation of that would even go up higher. But just a trick. So you can be the really savvy dermatologist. I think no argument, a rapidly growing lesion on the back of a 37-year-old female, you'd biopsy, but you may have been surprised and probably I would have been too by 0.3 amelanotic melanoma. Okay, so can you argue for fractals in dermatology? Um, maybe. Um, Vlaschko linear lines, that's something that I've always thought, the patterns of Vlaschko lines, I think are beautiful. Now, folks who come in with an Ilvin, they don't think that they're beautiful, 
Um, but you see this all the time, those marble cake patterns and things like that. Again, just patterns that you see in the world. I think Blaschka's lines are really pretty patterns. And if you ever look at the diagrams, just the pure diagrams, not on the skin of Blaschko's lines, they do have that suggestion of repetitive patterns over and over and over. And if you were nerdy and got somehow down to the microscopic levels, it would be interesting to see where you went with that. This is one of my other favorite fractals that you see in dermatology. Now, do you see it often? No. But did I see it three weeks ago in my clinic? Yes, I did. I had, a um, I had a patient who had recently been at the Grand Canyon. She and her grandson and a young couple were standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon and lightning struck. The young couple died immediately, but she and her son both had Lichtenberg figures because they were exposed to the lightning strike as well. And so when she came in, it was pretty much resolved, but she showed me the pictures of it. This is a photo from the New England Journal of Medicine of a Lichtenberg figure. But when you put it next to the lightning, pretty cool. And lightning absolutely is a fractal pattern in nature as well. So those are called Lichtenberg figures. The ER probably sees those more than we do, and hopefully not very often. This is kind of fun, entodermoscopy. There's a couple of papers out on this, and again, this should come with cleaner wipes for your dermatoscope. But there's some suggestion that dermoscopy now should be used more often to diagnose um, infestations and viral infections as well. I actually do use my dermatoscope for this. Does anybody know what this is? Molluscum, exactly. So you can see molluscum bodies. Um, and a lot of times when kiddos have some really aggravated KP and they have molluscum and things like that, this is a tool that you can use to differentiate molluscum bodies just from you know, follicular irritation. And so that's molluscum, and you can appreciate those molluscum bodies. This is scabies. Now, with any handheld dermatoscope that you're gonna have, I cannot see this, and sometimes I'm convinced I can't see it anyway. But um, this is with a 40 magnification. There's lots of articles about diagnosing scabies with your dermatoscope, an airplane tail pattern, those kind of things. This, again, is at a higher magnification. But you've got your trail of feces, and then that little head there is the scabetic mite that you see, so entodermoscopy. Here's another scabies picture. This may be even higher than 40 is my guess, um, but there's your trail, and then right at the head there you see your happy little mite. And then you can see the little scabala too along that trail. But there's articles on head lice, pubic lice, tongiasis that was mentioned earlier this morning. There's an article on dermoscopy and diagnosis of tongiasis as well. I like this one, and I've definitely done this before. Again, I work in, um, we see a lot of rural patients, so you may not have the opportunity to do this, but this is really fun when you see it under your dermatoscope. And sometimes folks will have these, especially we have a lot of farmers too, on their shoulder for a while before they come in, and most of the time they wiggle. Their little legs are just wiggling under the dermatoscope. Okay, so here's the last challenge, and then we'll be done. We'll have some time for questions if there are any more. Um, and I'm gonna give you a minute, because these are three completely different diagnoses, and um, we're gonna biopsy all three of them, all of us, I'll just give you that. But see if you can tell, this is the last one, the difference between these three diagnoses. And so I would just take them one at a time, don't try to compare the three, diagnose them one at a time. So why don't we start with this most inferior 
lesion on the bottom. So melanocytic or not? Yes, I'm gonna call that melanocytic as well, even though you've got a pretty heavy background of um, lentigos and pigmentation there. Asymmetry of, so we said yes, asymmetry of color, asymmetry of pattern, and so um, any blue-gray areas? Yes, no. Irregular vascularity? Yes. Um, we may not see, yeah, you probably see some dots and globules right through there. I would call that a blotch as well. Some streaking right there. So what is this? This is a melanoma. But all three of these pictures to me look strikingly similar. So that one's your melanoma on the bottom. Why don't we do this one up here, the first one. Melanocytic or not? Absolutely, I would call this melanocytic. The true answer is no. So look at that guy, and if I put it on the slide with all the others, what is this? It's a dermatofibroma. That being said, the pigment around the periphery of that and the trauma to that area is so heavy um, that you're tougher than I am if you just say, <laughs> that's a dermatofibroma, um, especially if you don't have a good history on it, because I think definitely you could judge that as a melanocytic lesion as well, especially when you hold it up next to these other two. It looks scary. In fact, I labeled this in my files as bad dermatofibroma. Um, but yeah, that central area is your clue that this is just an ugly dermatofibroma. And then your last one here, you can probably guess because we've eliminated the other two. Melanocytic or not? I would probably say yes, but again, under the microscope, this was a basal cell in heavy conjunction with a lentigo. And so always err on the side of judging something as melanocytic if you need to. But up at the periphery, you've got some irregular vasculature. Hard to argue for um, arborizing telangiectasia, but looks so similar to the melanoma that it's interesting. But the little tiny clues you can start to appreciate. And again, it just makes you a happier, more confident clinician. And that's what we've got. Thank you guys.